hear God's word from Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read down through verse from 10 down through verse 20, but we'll be looking particularly at verse 13 through 18. Let's give our attention to God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May God add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and, and now the teaching of his word. Amen. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Johnny right over. Some of you might remember that childhood game. How many of you remember that game? Where two teams of, of kids are lined up and they, they form two lines across from one another. Each team clasping hands or grabbing on to forearms. And then you would call a member from the other team to come over and try and break through the barricade that was there at some point. And if that team member, that, that, that opposing team member was successful in breaking through, then they would take someone from that team back over to their team. But if the line held, if they couldn't break through, then they would join up with the opposing team and become a part of their forces. I don't know if that game is still played on playgrounds today or not. Boys and girls, have you ever played that game? Probably not because it often would result in someone maybe being clotheslined or a sprained wrist or something like that. But obviously the point of the game was for your team to hold the line, for your team to stand firm against the, the onslaught of someone coming at you, and in doing so, to, to strengthen your team with more members. And there was strategy involved. It mattered who you called over to attack you. You didn't want the, the, the bigger, stronger uh, uh, opponents because they were more likely to break through their lines. So you had to know your opponent. It mattered where you attacked. Red Rover veterans always looked for the weak link in the opposing line and would go at it with gusto. It mattered how you arranged your line, who was next to who, how you gripped and locked your hands or your forearms, and how the, the whole line would bend and flex to absorb the blow together. In the end, it wasn't always the strongest team 
that won, but the team who together could hold the line, who could stand firm, united together in strength, and withstand the, the blows of your opponent. And while it's not a perfect analogy, in some ways it's a picture of what God has done for us in Christ, as we have seen in Paul's letter here to the Ephesians. God in His grace, He has chosen us, He has called us, and He has sent His Son Jesus to come down for us and to, to offer Himself up in our place to break through the stronghold of sin and to rescue us from the power of Satan through His death and to, and to bring us back with him from darkness to life from death to darkness to light from death to life to live and serve on his team and as a result we now are in Christ we bear his name we are joined together with others in the body of Christ and he has empowered and and, and is strengthening us by his spirit in us and as paul reminds us here at the end of ephesians we are still engaged in that cosmic conflict. An ongoing contest, a spiritual warfare that's being waged against our souls on the battlefield of everyday life. And we still face, as we saw last week, a most formidable enemy. Namely, the devil himself. And as Paul says, all the, the forces of evil arrayed against God and His people. Brothers and sisters, he's not playing games. He's not playing games. He's not just out to see if he can break through our defenses and win us back. Now he wants to destroy our souls. And his ways are cunning and crafty. We saw last week he's a master of deception and accusation and temptation. He is constantly calling our name and he's not alone. He's the prince of this world, the captain of cosmic powers over this present darkness, the ruler of, of spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle against a very real, very evil, very powerful enemy. <clears throat> and so the final thing that Paul leaves us with is this call to hold the line, to stand firm, and to withstand the continued, continued schemes of our enemy. He reminds us, that we do not stand alone. He says, be strong in the Lord and, and in the strength of His might. Our power and our, our strength, our ability to stand and, and hold the line is not found in ourselves, but it comes from Christ in us. And when our, our grip is weak, when, when our arms threaten to fail, the grip of grace, God's grip of grace upon us is firm, it's unyielding, and He will not let us go. And we are to gain our strength from Him. But we are still called to stand. And we are still called to be strong, to fight. And the resources to do so are given to us by God. And so we want to look this morning at those resources. Twice Paul says to put on, to, to take up the whole armor of God. Clothe yourself for battle, he says. Take up every piece of equipment that you will need in order that you may be able to stand up against the devil's schemes. To stand firm in what Paul calls the evil day. It's an interesting use of that term. We've all had bad days, haven't we? You wake up and the kids are fighting before you even have a chance to get dressed. You're running late for a meeting and you go out and the car won't start. 
You get that email, that voicemail, or, or that conversation with a neighbor or a coworker that just, it just rubs you the wrong way and, and really sets you off. You and your wife or your husband, you can't agree on something and it's just causing mounting tension in your relationship. You fail a big test. Maybe, boys and girls, you're getting bullied at school. A hurricane comes and a tree falls on your house. You get a bad diagnosis in the doctor. Not to mention all the big-scale issues that we, we find in the world around us. Sometimes you just wake up and you feel like nothing is going your way. Or maybe it's not a bad day. Maybe it's a great day when it seems everything is going right and you don't have a worry in the world. What we call a bad day, Paul calls an evil day. And even on the good days, Paul reminds us that the devil doesn't take time off. He never lets his guard down. That is to say, the de- that's not to say that the devil is the direct cause of all of our struggles. Again, we don't want to give him more credit than he's due. We live as sinful people in a sinful world. Sometimes our bad days are caused by our own sin. Sometimes they're caused by the sin of others. Sometimes they're just the result of, of circumstances that are beyond our control. But Satan takes advantage of those opportunities. He will stoke our self-pity or our self-righteousness. He will use your anger, as Paul said back in chapter 4, to gain a foothold. Earlier in chapter 5, Paul warns us to be alert, take care how we walk, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. In other words, we live now in this world and in days where our enemy, though ultimately defeated, is still on the prowl. And all of us have days where that evil assault is particularly intense. And Paul says, be on your guard. Take up the armor of God. Stand firm in the evil day. And so we do so in the strength of Christ by putting on and taking up the armor that God has provided for that purpose. And three things Paul emphasizes here about this armor. He notes, first, it's sufficiency. Second, it's source. And third, it's strength for us. First, Paul notes its sufficiency. He says, put on the whole, or or some translations say the full armor of God. The word there refers to to the full battle gear, the full complete set of armor and equipment that a that a Roman soldier would don to go into battle. And that tells us two things. First, every individual element of that is important. No player would enter a football game without his helmet or not wearing his shoulder pads. No soldier would go into battle missing his rifle or without his Kevlar vest or his Gore-Tex boots. To do so puts, puts him not only in danger, but it hampers his ability to carry out the mission and give, gives his opponent a distinct advantage. And likewise, as believers, God has given us the full armor, the complete set, all that we need for the battle, and every part of it is important. The Christian who says, yeah, I don't really need to spend time in God's Word. I know it. Or one who isn't concerned about truth or is quick to compromise 
with sin or doesn't take time to pray or thinks very little about the impact of the gospel is opening himself or herself up for the direct assault by the enemy. I mentioned last week, Satan can spot a chink in our armor with pinpoint accuracy. And where he, we are weak, he will come at us in that area. So we are to put on the whole armor of God and realize that every piece God has given us is vitally important. Secondly, the fact that it's the whole armor tells us that it's, again, all we need to stand firm in the battle. Paul reminded us at the beginning of Ephesians, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Peter says over in his letter that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And and Paul is reminding us here that includes everything we need to stand firm in the battle of faith. Sometimes I think as Christians, and particularly maybe as as American Christians, we're looking for that, that spiritual atom bomb. We're looking for that one thing that we can, just, we can just drop on all our problems and all our struggles and boom, they'll be gone. They'll disappear. If we could just read the right book, if we could just find the right church, if we could talk to the right counselor, if we could just get involved in the, in the right ministry or do this or that particular action, religious ritual, then kaboom, everything will be taken care of. Now, that's not to minimize the benefits of some of those things. But they are not substitutes for that which God has provided us in the battle. If we leave behind the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness or the shield of faith or the sword of God's Word in order to take up the the water pistol of of pop psychology or the foam shield of a feel-good prosperity gospel or the flimsy breastplate of our own willpower and and coping skills, then we're headed for disaster. The full armor of God is what we need and what is given to us and what is necessary and sufficient for the struggles we are engaged in. So Paul notes its sufficiency. It It is the full armor. But he also points out to its divine source. He says it's the whole armor of God. These weapons of our warfare are not our human inventions. And they, they are supernatural gifts of God's grace. It's possible and probable that Paul, who's writing from, from prison under Roman guard, had in mind the, the various parts of a Roman soldier's battle gear as he paints this picture of God's armor. But that's not the primary thing on his mind in this analogy that he uses. Paul here is drawing upon the language of the Old Testament Particularly, he's drawing upon the picture in Isaiah of of the Lord Himself, the the promised Messiah, the the coming servant of the Lord, equipped for battle against His enemies. In Isaiah chapter 11, speaking of the righteous branch from the stump of Jesse who would come to judge in righteousness, we're told this of Him, He shall strike the earth with the rod of His mouth. Righteousness shall be the belt of His waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Then in Isaiah 52, verse 7, the Lord speaking of salvation, that that familiar verse we know, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace and, and brings good news of salvation, who says to the people of Zion, Your God reigns. That is 
This is the Lord bringing that message to His people. And Paul undoubtedly had in mind Isaiah 59, where having seen the rebellion and the sin and the injustice and treachery against him by the people, seeing that justice had failed and righteousness had been cast aside, that truth had been abandoned, it says the Lord saw that there was no one to intervene, and so the Lord said of Himself, He puts on the, right, breast, the righteousness as His breastplate and the helmet of salvation on His head. And Jesus comes in vengeance to pour out wrath upon His enemies at the end of the day. And then at the end of that passage, we're told the Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. You see, God's righteousness and His truth and His salvation, these are the, these are the weapons which, which He Himself uses to defeat His enemies. This is the very armor that the Lord Jesus Himself bears for us in His battle against sin and Satan. This is the tried and tested armor. You know, oftentimes we will purchase sports equipment or we will buy a particular product because they are, they are used. They are endorsed, if you will, by a, maybe a particular professional athlete or someone we respect. They put their name on it, so to speak. Well, this is the armor of the Lord. This is endorsed and employed by our Lord Jesus Himself in defeating His greatest and our greatest enemy. And now through our Redeemer, in union with Him, we who are in Christ, we have peace with God and we are armed with this grace, by His grace with these very weapons, which will enable us to stand no matter what comes at us. So it's the full armor that we need and it's the armor of God that we bear. And then Paul points us to the strength that it gives as he lists the various elements. What is that armor? Well, he lists six of them here. He says it's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet that are, are, are fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice again, each of these are, are gifts that God has given us. We could say that these are, these are the blessings which, which, with which we have been blessed in the heavenly places, in the gospel. God has revealed Himself and His truth to us in Christ. He has shown us his, the reality and opened our eyes to who He is and how He relates to this world. And, and like the belt which holds everything together for the soldier, truth is that which girds us up in the battle against the evil schemes of Satan. If we want to stand firm in the faith, we need to be people who stand firm in the truth, who know the truth, who love the truth. All that we do needs to be grounded in truth and, and flow through a biblical worldview, filtered and seen in, in light of God's revelation to us in Christ. And this is why the knowledge of God's Word and, and doctrine are so vital. But it's not just knowing the truth. It's living by it. We are characterized by, by honesty, by integrity, by speaking the truth in love, as Paul said earlier, and holding truth in high regard. Fasten on the belt of truth. Gird up your life with that which God has made known and revealed as, as true in this world and through His Son, Jesus. 
And put on the breastplate of righteousness, he says. Righteousness means being right with God, being cleansed from our sin, being justified before the Lord and made holy by Jesus' sacrifice. And then living out that righteousness in obedience to God's Word. And 2 Corinthians tells us that Jesus became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. God has given you His righteousness. His perfect standing. And so when Satan stands to accuse us, when he would go at our very heart and our conscience with with condemnation for our failures or our sins, we stand not in a righteousness of our own. Otherwise, we would crumble. But that which has been given to us, the righteousness of Christ, which is now ours by virtue of His death and resurrection. And we have been united with Him in such a way that that we now are holy in God's sight. And we now have the power to live out that righteousness in obedience to God's Word. And so not only do we love God's truth, but we, we seek to live according to it. And when our lives are characterized by walking in that manner worthy of our calling, a love for doing what is right, then we are guarded. We are less apt, to, less apt to be led astray and to succumb to Satan's tactics. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we stand in Christ fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully justified before our God. And no accusation, no attack of Satan can stick. As we live out and grow in that righteousness, we are able to resist His temptations. And then the gospel of peace. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, which brings peace with God. And Paul says our feet are fitted with the readiness of the gospel. A soldier had to be ready at a moment's notice. And the Roman soldier was fitted with boots that made both for firm footing in battle as well as for ease of travel and long marches. And so when Paul says that that we need to be Our feet need to be shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel. I think he first means that in this battle, we stand firm on the peace that the gospel gives to us in Christ. Jesus said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you. In this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. And standing firm in the gospel means we we know the outcome of the battle. Jesus wins and we can, we can rest in that truth even as we engage in the ongoing conflict. But not only do we, we stand firm in the gospel, we're also called to be ready to move out with the gospel. To take that good news of peace out with us. It's one thing to take an enemy prisoner in a battle, but it's another to recruit them over to your side. And so Satan hates the gospel. Because... It announces amnesty to those who are, are previously in His ranks. It's the, the power of God for salvation. And it leads to desertion in His own army. And so thus, when our feet are ready with the gospel, we become the, the messengers of peace to those who do not know peace. And Paul talks about the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. Believing and trusting God's promises leaning on, on, on the salvation that is ours because we belong to God. One of Satan's tactics is to try to sow seeds of doubt and discord in the ranks of God's people. 
He will use circumstances or He will use people to try to cause us to, to question our captain. If God really loved you, would He let this happen to you? Can, can God really be good when there's so much evil going on in the world? How can you say that you're saved when you still struggle with so much sin? These are the fiery darts of the evil one that would come at us constantly. But the shield of faith says, I, believe, I don't believe you, I believe God. I trust in the promises of God. The helmet of salvation says, I know to whom I belong and who has hold of me. Sometimes we don't always understand what God is doing or why He gives us this command or leads us in this direction. But He tells us, when you walk through the fires, I will protect you. Why? Because you are mine. You are mine. We can believe that God is for us and thus nothing can stand against us as we take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And lastly, Paul notes the only offensive weapon in the bunch, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If we don't have the Word, then we may be able to resist for a short while, but ultimately we will be overcome. The Word is the, is the double-edged sword that puts us on the offensive. And that's what we see Jesus doing. It was His weapon in the wilderness as He stood against Satan's temptations. He returned fire with the truth of God's Word. In fact, the rest of this armor, that, that truth, that righteousness, that faith and salvation, the gospel, all to some degree revolve around what God has revealed to us in His Word. And so if we are to take our stand when the day of evil comes, to remain standing, we must rely on God's Word. We must open it up and have it opened up to us by His Spirit at work in us and, and used by us through His Spirit who makes that Word effective. So truth, righteousness, the Gospel, faith, salvation, the Word, these are the, these are the gifts of God. This is the armor, the whole armor with which He has equipped us for the battle. But look what Paul says. Put them on. Take it up. We have this arsenal at our disposal. But we have to take it up. Not just on Sunday. These things must permeate our lives every day. We have to pursue truth. We have to cultivate righteousness that comes from Christ Himself. We have to proclaim the gospel to our own hearts and to others. We have to live by, by faith, trusting in God's promises, even when we don't see how those things may work out. We have to look to and learn from and lean on God's Word each and every day. And as we do, we only not only grow stronger and more skilled in battle, but in the end will be found standing firm. And let me close with this. The taking up of this armor is a corporate endeavor. Like the linking of the arms in the children's game, Red Rover, we are linked together in this battle of faith. The call here is not for you just by yourself. In fact, all of this is, is in the plural. The call here is for y'all, for us, together to put on the whole armor of God, the whole church to take up the whole armor with which God has equipped us. And thus we have a responsibility 
to fight for and with one another. Not with one another, like fighting against each other. <laughs> but fight side by side together. When our brothers and sisters' grip is weakening, to come alongside and encourage, to strengthen, to pray for, to build them up in the faith. To the extent that you isolate yourself from the church and from other believers, you make yourself vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Like a prowling lion seeks to separate his prey from the rest of the herd, Satan loves to get us isolated and alone. And so being a part of the body is key. And lastly, remember that in Christ you're never alone. Jesus is the one who came down and endured every temptation that we could ever undergo. He resisted fully the greatest of temptations there in the desert. And then He offered Himself up on the cross in our place that He might win the battle over sin and death. And as one of us, He has donned the armor of God. He has faced our greatest enemy. He has won the battle. And He is the King of glory. And the Lord, strong and mighty in battle. And He has opened the gates of heaven. And He has ushered us in with Him. And so as we remain in the fight, and there is more and more ground to be taken from the evil one, He calls us to stand firm, to hold the line, to be strong in the strength of His might. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know this Jesus. You don't know this mighty one who has fought for you. Well, he's calling your name this morning. Come over. Come back. He has already secured your freedom. Now he only requires your faith, your trust in him and in his work. And he will give you strength for the battle. So let us put on the full armor of God. Pursuing truth, practicing righteousness, trusting in our Savior, standing secure in His peace and in His salvation, wielding His Word for the glory of His kingdom. And having done all, we will stand on the evil day. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge our need and our vulnerability. And we confess our weakness and indeed even our failing and having fallen at times in the battle. But we give you thanks and we praise you that Lord Jesus, you are the one who has fought the fight who has won the victory and who now stands in us and with us against our greatest enemies. And Father, we can stand firm because you have equipped us with your truth, with your righteousness, with your salvation, with your peace. Lord, would we take those things up daily? And for any here, Lord, who are in the midst of the battle, and that's all of us in some form or fashion, Lord, would we recognize 
whose side we're on. That you are for us. And if you are for us, nothing can stand against us. And no attack of the evil one, nothing that he would accuse us or tempt us with can overcome when we stand firm in Christ together as your people. And so Lord, cause us to do that now and in every day ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.